Uh, Father, we just thank you for being able to come here and worship you this morning. You've given us grace to, to come here, give us grace to hear your word, give us grace to worship you with uh, excitement and zeal this morning, give us grace to go out through the rest of the week uh, to do your will, uh, to hear your word, and to do it for the rest of the week through your son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> so I was told that my, I was told twice uh, that my title was too long. And the first one was by my wife, and then the second one was by the people who make the outlines for the bulletin. Uh, and so mine says, thoughts on horticulture, general revelation, and living in a decadent culture. And so this is going to be a little bit different than uh, maybe normally our normal 930, where we have a, uh, a, a really um, specific theme, or we're going through a series, or or uh, there's a general tenant to the whole thing. Uh, but you guys know me, most of you know me, and uh, I like the talk back, so this is an open, open discussion. If you're online, just type it in. Uh, we probably still do have quite a few people joining us weekly from India. And so um, I'm kind of like, I was kind of debating, it's like, well, either I could start a series of things I want to go through and do those during the 9.30, or I could just use this one as uh, a, a topic that I've been meditating on and, and thinking about. And it's always a little bit harder uh, when you get up here to speak because you could be meditating and, and the Lord could be, you know, uh, giving you insight and things, and that doesn't mean that's always going to be helpful for everybody else. And so I kind of, you know, debate whether trying to do something helpful, uh, something insightful, and something that uh, applies to us in our community. And so I thought horticulture, general revelation, and living in a decadent culture was that topic. And so as my wife and I discussed, we were like, well, uh, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't, I don't want this to come across bad, but then I, we thought that we'll probably have to uh, define all those words before we get started. And so... Uh, what I hope to do is to tie the themes of horticulture analogies in Scripture, how we understand general revelation, uh, and how with special revelation, general revelation becomes more special, and how in a decadent culture we tend to miss, downplay, uh, and sometimes are just plumb inexperienced in real ways uh, uh, in our decadent culture. And so meaning like there's a lot of horticultural themes throughout Scripture. It starts with the garden, and we'll talk about that. Um, but we don't experience that. We don't live in the same type of culture that it was originally written to. So sometimes, because of our lack of experience, we miss the depths of these analogies. And I think that's kind of true in the general revelation sense, but we'll get into that. So quick definitions, in case you're on your phones Googling what these are real quick. Uh, I'll try to beat you to it. Horticulture is garden cultivation or management. And so that has to do with planting Seeds, crops, trees, plants, stuff. Yeah, we got a couple people in the back asking to turn me up. <laughs> if you guys could, in the live, in the live feed, or in the sanctuary. Uh, general revelation, or what's called natural revelation, which refers to knowledge about God or spiritual matters revealed through natural means uh, or the materialistic created world. And so if you turn to Psalm 19, you might do a lot of flipping today. just so I don't misquote it. And what we mean by general revelation is what the scriptures tell us. 
when the scriptures tell us that's special revelation, that's special knowledge, he's given us exactly what we need to know. General revelation is out in the materialistic created world. Psalm 19.1 explains it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. And so nature itself declares how glorious God is. It declares a purpose. God didn't just create the world we live in to be, because he needed some mode for us to live. He needed to create a round spherical earth with, you know, heavens and stars because that somehow suits us. He does it for his glory. He does it because it declares something about God himself. And so go to Proverbs 6, 1. Oh, I'm sorry, 6, 6 through 11. And I always like this one to bring out. This is just an example of general revelation. And there's, there's something in creation that we see, we know about it, we can observe it, and we're supposed to understand something about God. So Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so the ants in God's special revelation, we're supposed to be able to view the ants and say, oh, I'm not supposed to be lazy. Right? And so there's something in creation that was ordered by God that we are, that tells something about his purpose, his creation, uh, his character, or something, some obligation we have. And so we see that in the ant. We're supposed to observe that and see it. And so decadent culture, what's a decadent culture? Uh, it's luxurious living in self-indulgence. And that's opposed to generosity. Of, often in, that, in a decadent culture is not taking the hard road. We have things at hand. And how that kind of ties into horticulture and general revelation is, well, uh, if I want food, I go to the store. I don't, well, sometimes, I'll give you, if you guys don't know, we have a, our backyard is becoming a garden. When we bought the house, it, it was a garden, and it's becoming, we're taking, we're cutting out more grass, and it's more garden. And, and so I could walk out into my backyard if I wanted cherries and go pick cherries off our cherry tree or get lettuce or get whatever Noel plants, uh, and I can go out to my front yard and get mint, and I could, but if I, if, I wanted, uh, if I wanted steak, I have to go to the store, and steak is good. Amen. We don't get any more amens today. We're, we understand that about general revelation. Steak is good. And so, and so in a decadent culture, we have things that are very easy. They're at hand. We are not steeped in the culture that a lot of the Bible was written to in the, over the last you know, 2,000 years ago up to uh, 4,500 years ago. And so we often, just in a decadent culture, we are missing uh, a lot of those experiences. And we're going to look in a decadent culture, those things cannot last. And so the garden theme, why I think this is important, is number one for understanding Scripture, is the garden theme is like clearly prevalent throughout all of Scripture. And so we start with the Garden of Eden, um, and I want to just tie some things in and that are probably familiar to everybody who's been a Christian at least a year. Um, and so uh, Scripture starts with, with the Garden of Eden, uh, and it ends with a garden city in the new heavens and the new earth. And 
often God uses garden language, even in from, the, from Genesis, which is be fruitful and multiply. And so we have a lot of garden and horticulture language throughout all of scripture. Adam's job was to tend or cultivate the garden and to keep it or protect it. And so there was a specific purpose in that. That wasn't just for Adam to give given to him so that he could tend this one little garden in, in the Middle East somewhere. And that doesn't apply to us today, right? Uh, Christ is the second Adam, the Eternal covenant is it was lived out in all of God's covenants throughout Scripture. And so when we're talking about cultivating a garden and, and protecting it or uh, tending it and, and keeping it, that applies to us today. And so mainly what he's talking about is when you're cultivating the garden or when, you're, when, when Adam's job is to cultivate it, that means fertilization, that's propagation, that's reseeding, that's sowing, that's pruning. That's, if you're not familiar with like fruit trees, uh, you don't just have to prune fruit trees. You have to, um, where's my wife? It's, uh, when you take off some of the fruits because, uh, because you, if it were to grow all the fruits, all the fruits would be bad. But if you select off some of the fruits, some of the fruits will, will then be good. Uh, uh, thinning, it's called thinning. And so you have to thin, and that's part of cultivation. And there's all these, these garden themes and all these horticulture references that are supposed to come to our mind, and that's supposed to apply to something. But if we don't live in that type of culture, we often just graze over it and we miss it. And so, and then protecting it. And so often we think about uh, protecting the garden from, and I don't know if you guys might be like me, I've never really asked too many people about this, at least in this room of like, we think, well, obviously the garden was supposed to be protected from Satan and incoming dangers, but death was not, before the fall, there was no death. So there, Adam wasn't like uh, protecting the garden and protecting the animals and killing the wolves because uh, they were going after the sheep. That wasn't there. There was no death. And so just in horticulture to protect a plant um, and to protect a garden, uh, surely the animals do come in and eat the fruit. Like I try to say it every time I'm up here in the summer that the squirrels are eating our peaches and we won't have any. We've got three peach trees and we are constantly capturing squirrels uh, to keep them from eating our peaches because uh, if they do what they did last year, we're not going to have any peaches. And they don't eat the cherries, uh, but they'll eat the peaches. So that's part of protecting it is the animals do go after the fruit. The animals do go after uh, your substance. And, and so part of not living in an in a, in a agrarian culture where that is our produce and we have to raise something, we have to have a crop, we have to have fruit, we have to do something to be fruitful, and that takes work and work and work and work and work, and then you get a final payoff, is we, we lose a lot of that in our culture. And so protecting it, protecting the garden isn't just against animals, it's... Um, I wrote down some examples, and uh, uh, my wife had a women's Bible study last night, and as they were leaving, they mentioned, like, and so there was, uh, there's aphids, there's little aphids on plants, and they eat your plants, and that's not good, because then you don't have any plants, and they eat the flowers, and they eat the lettuce, and they eat the cucumbers, and so what did my wife do? She bought ladybugs. You can buy ladybugs online. Wow. <laughs> hey, at least I've got everyone's attention. Uh, and, and ladybugs will eat the aphids. 
And then Leah Gray uh, generously gave us some praying mantis or praying manti. Because uh, they eat the aphids. And so we put those in, my wife put those in the garden because there's bugs that come in and, and eat your produce and, and eat your plants. And so you part of protecting and cultivating together is, is breeding together the right plants and putting them in the right places and getting the right bugs. And that's all supposed to be for being fruitful and multiplying. And so I want to bring out a few analogies uh, in Scripture just to give as some examples and just kind of discuss them. And I'm just trying to go over a general, I'm going to try to pull together horticulture, general revelation, and what that means in our culture uh, together. Hopefully I do, hopefully you guys understand this by the end. Um, But let's go to Psalm 1. There's just a few kind of predominant ones that I think that we all kind of know of that we'll look at. So Psalm 1, just like a garden, just like a, a horticulture theme, Psalm starts with a very prominent one that most people know. This is one as we were, we don't do it as frequently now, but as we were teaching Lily to memorize scripture, this was, she had this one memorized pretty well. So I encourage everyone to memorize this. <clears throat> Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so you don't have to live in a culture that's steeped in agriculture to get this. He, he tells you what the purpose is. Uh, and, you know, it, a fruit-bearing tree is usually produce something that you can eat, but if you just take that as seed, you know, you can walk down any path towards any one of our rivers and the metro parks and, and see those great big sycamore trees that are right by the water and they're strong and and they never fail, and it's, they're very healthy. And you can walk, you know, 30 yards offshore uh, of the river and see that the, there's just constantly dead trees and dead trees and dead trees, and there's new growth and dead trees, and it sprouts up and down, and it's very, uh, uh, it's very seasonal and very rapid. And so, but it's not like that right next to the water. It's usually pretty consistent, and there does come new growth, but generally the trees by, <coughs> excuse me, by the river, are very healthy um, and are there for a very long time. And so here he tells you exactly what you need to understand, and, and, and we get that, and most of us don't have to be steeped in that culture, so we're starting with an easy one. And, but uh, since I'll throw it back to you guys, what's chaff? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's the outside covering to, to grain that you get when you, when you beat the grain. If you know anything, um, I hope that, just a side note, I hope that when you guys read scripture and you're like, what the heck is that? And you don't understand that you like take a minute and, and look it up online and be like, what the heck is chaff? Uh, so I hope everyone's read that and has done that before, if you didn't know what it was. But it's this little like papery parchment that's on the outside of grain, specifically wheat. And how they do it is they put it in a big pile, and if you've got animals or or if you, even if you have a, a machine that does it, it crushes the wheat, 
and, uh, and it crushes it, and so it removes that little papery parchment, and then, you know, before Mishuni, they'd take pitchforks, and they would scoop it, and they would just, like, throw it in the air, and they'd do it on a hilly place, you know, a windy place that has hills, and so that the wind would just drive it away. You just pick it up, you toss it up, the seed falls to the ground, it's heavy, and the chaff just blows away. And so he tells us what that means, uh, and we're supposed to have this analogy, and if you were steeped in a culture where you had to do that regularly, or you saw that regularly, that would make a lot of sense. You wouldn't have to be like, you wouldn't be in uh, your, I want to say tent, but that's kind of too much of an evolutionary mindset, but you'd be in your whatever building you have, and you wouldn't be Googling 2,000 years ago what that meant, what is chaff. You would just be like, oh, I get that. You would read that once and be like, yeah, that makes sense. But the purpose, and relating that to a, a decadent culture, he's saying the way the wicked are going to perish, it's just, like just going to go away. It is very easily uprooted and drifted away. The, and so when we, leave, when, when we live in a decadent culture where it's based on taking the easy road and it's self-indulgence, and these things can't really survive. We're going to talk about a few specific things, hopefully towards the end, of things that are very, you see in the news and the media almost every day now, that just aren't going to survive. Wickedness doesn't perish. Wickedness doesn't, doesn't flourish easily. It, it might sprout up quickly, but it is easily blown away. And so what are we supposed to get out of this is that the one who meditates on the law of God, who doesn't listen to the sinners, who delights in the law, who thinks about it all the time, they're going to they're gonna flourish. Those are the people, the righteous uh, other in another place in Proverbs says, are like a solid root. They're not going to get uprooted. They're not going to just like, and so when the righteousness is planted in a culture, it's going to be there, and it's going to flourish. And the wicked are just going to be like the chaff, and their purposes are going to be like the chaff. And so we won't read the whole thing. Or we're going to look at the parable of the sower real quick. That's in Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. Um, I met with a a young man this week and talked about that about it's the same thing about the and just using this on meditating on the law and uh, I love the parables like when I first started reading scripture uh, and becoming serious about reading I was like I, I don't know if this exactly happened but I think it was something like this where I was reading the parables and I was like what the heck does that mean and I probably didn't say heck in my mind but I was a new Christian and I was like ah I was like, this is so frustrating. And then you read like the rest of the chapter and you're like, oh, Jesus tells you what it means. And so that one's, this one's really easy uh, because I even do this as, a, as an experiment. Uh, a lot of times when I'm meeting with guys and trying to help them to start read the scriptures for the first time, we'll go over you know, Matthew 13 particularly because at the end it says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so you're like, oh, do I understand this? And uh, it's overwhelmingly almost everybody, you know, nine times out of ten, they're like, I don't get it. Uh, no, I don't know what that means. And they're like, well, Jesus gave you this one, so we'll just read a little bit longer, and, and he'll tell us. And so that's the, par- that's the parable oh, that Jesus says where there's four types of soils. Uh, there's a sower planting seed, and it falls out, and the crows pick up the first one, and the second one, it's on rocky ground, and there's no root, and the third one gets a deeper root, but it grows up with, with I'm sorry, on the rocky ground, it, it sprouts up quickly, there's no root, and the sun scorches it, and the third one grows up, it looks like a healthy plant, it's got deeper roots, but it grows up with weeds, and, but it doesn't produce any fruit, and so it's not good for anything except for 
uh, firewood, and the fourth plant, which is um, which is, has none of those problems, it has deep roots, and it grows up and it produces uh, uh, fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Jesus goes on to explain the parable but that the the ground is human hearts, the sower is the Lord, and he's spreading the word of the kingdom or the word of the Lord. And uh, look at the three different parables, the same parable in three different, uh, in the three synoptic, synoptic gospels, and you get a little bit deeper understanding. And then there's uh, Satan or the evil one that removes the word of the kingdom from the hearts and the, the crows. And then the one that doesn't have any root is on rocky ground, gets scorched by the sun. It, it comes up quickly. It's a new Christian who's like, I really love this stuff. I really love this Christianity thing. And then there's like a little bit of temptation or there's a little bit of persecution on account of the word. And they're like, ah, never mind. I'll do something else. <laughs> this wasn't my thing. Wasn't expecting that. And so they fall away. The third one, which is especially dangerous in a decadent culture, is one who looks like a healthy tree but never produces any fruit. It can't even, like, produce one seed and a fruit to get another tree to maybe produce something fruitful. And it says that the cares of the world and riches uh, are the weeds that choke it out and it proves unfruitful. And the fourth seed is the, in Matthew, says the one who who hears the words of the kingdom and understands it. And that's the, the word of the kingdom going deep in, into their heart. And so if we read that and he tells us exactly what we need to know, but there is something about experiential knowledge that you could say hits, hits harder, hits deeper when you've tried to bring, like tried to get fruit or you've gardened or if you do it for pleasure or if you did it for a business, there's something that we tend to miss because, guess what? If I don't produce fruit, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy some. If, all, if the squirrels eat all my peaches, guess what? Kroger's got my peaches. And I just go. And I don't worry about it and I don't have to work harder and I don't have to figure out a solution and I, and I don't have to think about it and I just, I just go and get it. And so uh, I'm not saying those things are bad, but we tend to lose the depth of that, of like, if you worked for all year to try to, welcome, come on in, uh, to, oh, you're fine. That's why we got the door there. Uh, if you worked all year to try to produce fruit and then something happened and you didn't have fruit, that would hit a lot harder. And so in those parables, um, we, in our decadent culture, we just tend to lose that. And so I'm going to go over hopefully two more in the next 15 minutes. Uh, and get into uh, some decadence in our culture. And so uh, this one is, I'm just going to hit real quick. Hebrews 12:15 says that let no root of bitterness cause up that may become that many may become defiled. And so uh, we don't get that many uh, well we do get a lot of practical things in Hebrews, but uh, a couple of things he hits on very prominently and he doesn't tell you what kind of plant that is or anything. And so the point is like when a root takes place, it's it's there for a while. It's established, right? And so what we tend to do is that we see, like, bitterness, and it sprouts up a little bit, and instead of, like, plucking it and getting rid of it or cutting, taking the ax to the root, we like to just kind of hit it at knee level. And does anybody know what happens to a, a plant when you, um, when you chop it maybe in half, and it's, let's just say we cut a plant here at knee level. Does anybody know what happens to it? It drives the roots deeper, it has new growth, and it usually 
grows outward and then tries to continue to spring upward. But if you keep cutting it at knee height, it's just going to be a knee height, really healthy plant. <laughs> and it's going to spread outward. And so when he's talking about let no root of bitterness, like what we tend to do is we think that, well, bitterness would affect me. Like I can, I can, I don't have to uproot that bitterness in, in this relationship because it's, when we deceive ourselves, I think it's only going to affect this relationship. And I've seen it uh, multiple times where uh, people have kind of said that outwardly or is very evident, and then they are amazed that there's bitterness and it's in lots of other relationships in their life. It's in their, they thought they could be bitter towards their boss, but then they find out that there's bitterness in their marriage and there's bitterness in their kids, and, there's, and it's, it gets out of control. And so that's why he's talking about let no root, because when roots are planted, they don't get moved easily. And so... Um, Last one we'll kind of quickly go to is Matthew 15. Uh, where I'm just looking at the first two verses <clears throat> where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear, fruit, bear more fruit. And so this is Jesus's uh, analogy of in the church, in the people of God, in, in the community, uh, that there are, that he's the true vine. That's where we get our source. And uh, if you if you guys go to my front yard, I love that uh, we have just a house that is is. I love certain aspects of that. Our outside is becoming more and more garden. If you go uh, to our front yard, we have grapes growing on a on a lattice, uh, whatever the like a lattice archway. And so, uh, oftentimes in the when I bought the house, it was from a Turkish family, and, and they walked me through the whole garden and said, this is what you've got to do for this, this, and this, and this. I said, oh, great. Uh, Noelle and I were not even engaged at that time, but I was like, I'm going to tell Noelle about this, and she's going to take care of it. Uh, <laughs> but we have to every year, because she loves it, uh, not because, <laughs> because I'm trying to pawn it off on her, it's because I help her with it, but because she loves it. And, and so we have... Um, grapes in our front yard and and they told me every year you have to cut it at like you know like chest to head level if you want grapes <coughs> excuse me and so that's because if you just kept letting them grow out of control they're not actually going to produce grapes and so Jesus is using this analogy of something that would have been steeped in their culture of winemaking and uh, of of what it means to bear fruit and to and to prune and take away and if it doesn't if a if you go, you guys can come over and, and help because Noel's always looking for help, uh, especially in the garden. In our fruit trees, we already pruned it this year to cut it down so that we don't have to use a ladder or climb the tree to get them if we get any. But then there's new growth. There's these little suckers that come in the middle and you have to cut those too. And, and because they're not going to bear any fruit, they're just going to take the, and steal the energy and the life of the tree. And so you have to prune, you have to, and, and Jesus says that the Father is going to do that. He's going to take away branches that are unfruitful, and he's going to prune those that are fruitful. And so we shouldn't be surprised when that comes about in our community. We should expect that. We should look for it. We should anticipate it. We should pray for it. And so uh, to kind of bring this a little bit together, especially living in a, in a decadent culture, is 
because we don't live in an agrarian culture where like we have to produce something and bring it to market and we don't have to work with our fathers and we don't have a family business and we don't have to do all these things day in and day out to eventually get it to market, to sell it, to make something, to buy a diversity of food. We, we tend to lose that. And so we're not, um, we don't know what it's like to have a long awaited like harvest feast. We have our harvest party or, or far pole, fall party or something uh, in September every year. And that's just in a tradition of agrarian cultures who, who had something to bring to market, who had fall parties, who had harvest parties. And we're just doing that because, like, we're not doing it because, like, we had a really good crop this year. <laughs> we're just celebrating what the Lord did, uh, but we don't live in that that lifestyle anymore. So we tend to just, we, we graze over them. We don't have that experiential knowledge and we, and we lose some things. And so this is not an argument for returning to a little house on the prairie model. Although if you guys talked to me about six months ago, I was really into the little house on the prairie. Uh, that's a side story. It's not as little girl and childish as I had thought. Um, but, but anyways, but we do see benefits of the, you know, those, those cultures of that happens. And so in a decadent culture, what we're going to get into is, especially in what we're going to see in our culture, is when God is actually bringing judgment on a culture, he's not bringing down always hailstorms and lightning bolts and he's going to destroy them. What he does, we're going to read it in Romans 1, is he just gives the people over to their desires, He's just going to let them go. He's just going to, they have evil desires already in them, and he's just going to let them have it. And so, um, real quick side story about the, just the type of culture we want to build here in our community. That's, you know, look at, like we looked at Psalm 1, that's based on a people meditating on the law of God, and the, and the righteous will have firm planted roots, and in everything they do, they prosper. And so I had the first experience of this in my life the other day. Um, our church office is in Greg and Catherine's house, and they have a, 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 what I would say is a very nice, overgrowing mulberry tree in their side lot. And uh, that reminded me that it's mulberry season. And so there are s- certain things you can forage in our neighborhood uh, if you, I think, as far as I know, for most people in our church, I'm the one that lives the farthest into the ghetto. And we have, uh, you know, my, my wife and my daughter, we decided for our family night that we were going to go and pick mulberries and then make mulberry pie or mulberry tarts. And I was like, that sounds fun. I've never done anything like this. We've picked mulberries before, and so there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a vacant house like a block away that's boarded up, and it has a mulberry tree. And so we first walked over there, and... The, the fruit wasn't as ripe, it was like, and I was the only one tall enough to like pick it, and I was like, well, that's no fun for me, and because uh, we won't get as much, and the fruit wasn't as ripe, and I was like, hey, let's just go to Greg and Catherine's, and we'll, we'll pick their mulberries, and, uh, and so we did, and we were there for like 20 minutes, and we got a whole uh, bowl full of mulberries, and uh, Lily's seven years old, she'll be eight, um, oh, tomorrow, uh, and so... We got a whole bowl, and it was very fun. It was a nice family experience. We didn't have to do it to, to produce something to bring to market, but it was the first time in my life that I've ever experienced 
something quite like that, where we're going to pick it, we're going to have this kind of uh, an actual family-like atmosphere geared towards one mind of we're going to pick mulberries and 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 make tarts and and produce something out of that. Um, and one might argue that she does that every day because she plants lettuce and we eat salad every day in the summer because we pick it out of the, out of the backyard. But uh, we got to have that experience of like we're not just going to the store to buy something; we are harvesting something. And then we made these really nice mulberry tarts and. The culmination of the story is we're going to bring one. I owe one to Golda, uh, but I asked Greg and Catherine if they like mulberries, and they said no. So I got two extra mulberry tarts at the end. Uh, <laughs> and so that was just an experience of, like, do we, we don't normally do that, but there was a, a family cultivation of doing something together to produce something that we get to reap the benefits of. And so that's not like sending my wife to the store to get blackberries to make a pie to, to, for me to live in a decadent household of just, just getting it, right? And so, so we tend to miss, I'm saying we tend to miss a lot of those experiential things. And so let's go to Romans 1. And let's see what we're talking about when it says that when God, when we, we you just can't live in decadence forever. It is only, it's very short-lived, and I'm going to get to it's self-destructing, and uh, when wickedness arises, God brings judgment. And so, Romans 1, we're going to read 21 to 28. And three times, just listen, three times it's going to say, God gave them up to, and listen what he gave them up to. <clears throat> well, I'm going to read 18, and then I'll go to 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to their lust of their hearts, to impurity, to his honoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their honor. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so when we live in a, 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 as our culture declines, what happens is when you live in decadence and luxury and self-indulgence, that's not sustainable. And so when I'm talking, and I'm using loosely general revelation here, is that what God has inherently built into creation is the way it's supposed to be. That's supposed to be uh, cultivated. It's supposed to, God says that in Romans 1, that it's supposed to give thanks to God and acknowledge him. And when you don't do that, you start having idolatry and uh, God gives you up to a debased mind and debased things. And so it's inescapable to get out of the way God built creation. 
and some of those things are just fundamental and some of those things are obvious um, and it's just, you can't get around it. And so when you live in a decadent culture and things go on and on and on, well, they, they're just not sustainable and so they start to crumble and then you see that it returns to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. Uh, not meaning in the beginning Genesis, but the way it was inherent in creation. And so I'm just going to give a few examples. Um, and these are at least things that I see in the news every day. And uh, I'm going to skip in my notes down to what I want you guys to get out of this at the end. Uh, I had this thought I, uh, about you know the sermon this morning. And I talked over with my wife, and she's like, well, what do you want the people to get? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> uh, but after praying about it, I was like, so we live in a decadent culture. We're going to go over some examples of how our culture is self-destructing. I want everyone to understand that you can't go around God's design. And this is a great time to evangelize and witness. And so um, in a culture that is steadily moving towards more and more wickedness, especially one that is evident that it can't be sustained for very long, that's a great time to evangelize. That's a great time to share the gospel. That's a great time to say, hey, you knew this was like, you knew this was bad from the beginning and it got this bad. Do you understand now? And so as it is Pride Month in our culture, the LGBTQ plus, um, it's just a self-destructing thing. I see it, we see it, it's, I don't know why it's in the news every day, maybe because it's so prominent, um, but obviously it's, it's Pride Month. And so, you know, just to give an example, the Obergefell decision was in 2015. And everyone was, you know, uh, saying, you know, from the Christian perspective, like, well, it's a slippery slope and it's going to go downhill and it's going to be worse and worse. And people are like, no, you're just being paranoid. And in the last seven years, it's gone from just, uh, you know, supposedly equal rights for, for gay mirage to, hey, let's give, like, prepubescent kids, like, hormone blockers. And so that's not sustainable over a long period of time. That might be sustainable in a culture for some period of time, but just that community can't have kids. And so they have to evangelize. And uh, we could have a whole separate discussion on what is the biblical response to that. I would start with evangelism, but that's for another time. But just the, the culture isn't sustainable. It's coming to a crumble. And what was, you know, just a few years ago said to be, oh, you guys are being paranoid. It's not going to get that bad. But uh, very quickly it has. Uh, very quickly now it's not just, not just homosexual marriage or mirage. It's, it's now, you know, transsexuals and it's all this other crazy stuff. And, and the plus is just geared towards the kids. The plus is clearly the kids. And so don't be, uh, don't be surprised when uh, bestiality and pedophilia become more prominent in our culture uh, or that there's laws passed for that too. And so that's just a very rapidly moving, rapidly moving movement. And so, uh, but what does Psalm 1 say? The wicked are like chaff. They get crushed, pick them up. They're just going to be blown away. And so the, you can't get away from God's design. And so the righteous are to plant firm roots in our culture. The righteous prosper in everything that they do. The righteous are the ones that are going to be there in the end. <laughs> and so 
There's, it's not something to worry about. It's something to prepare for. It's something to evangelize, and it's something to work towards. And so, uh, uh, just because in, in my notes I put the, the, so they have, that community has to evangelize. They have to get new converts. They can't produce, you know, on, they either won't or can't uh, have children. And so it goes, I just want to talk about, since it's quarter after, and I got to wrap up, uh, the government school system. That in itself is a, the, the national is a self-destructing uh, system where it's not really based on a lot of education uh, anymore. And so biblically, education was handled in a household in a small private format. And so we've seen just, uh, I was just talking this over with my wife last night, the, the Christian homeschooling movement started it in the 80s, uh, maybe late 70s, early 80s, and it was not very popular. They were like put out as like Quakers and, and, and uh, uh, conservative quacks who were like, you know, um, too scared, and maybe some of them were. And but it, uh, the government schools don't aren't geared towards education. And the more they gear themselves towards education, and especially ever since uh, 2002 and the No Child Left Behind, it's left more children behind. And I don't have to tell this to most people because we have a lot of people here that are are school teachers and educators. And so it's just a it's just a crumbling system. And I love to talk to maybe people more privately about that and when we have more time. And so you see this movement of it's returning back to the way God ordained it in creation with smaller privatized schools or, or homeschooling or where the family is in charge of the education. And so, because I've got like maybe at most four minutes, uh, um, you know, and you see the same thing. And so that's kind of out there in our culture, but let's talk more about our Christian ethos and Christian culture. And so the megachurch movement, the, the megachurch movement was destroyed over COVID, right? It wasn't just the megachurches, it was churches that were non-communal, right? That were non-community based. And if you were going to try to find a community during COVID, good luck. They're all shut down. Not this one. There were many, I'm sorry, there were, it wasn't just us, there was many churches that weren't, weren't shut down. Um, I get uh, a certain filter of news every day, and uh, I get recently there's been a lot of articles I've read about how happy are how happy pastors are who quit over the last two years, because if they didn't mask up, then they got flack, and if they did mask up, they got flack, and maybe they were in the wrong profession to begin with, uh, because that's what a pastor does. He gets flack. <laughs> He's not supposed to all the time, but he gets those controversy and you have to handle that. And so what I want everyone to get out of this is not just that we lose, you know, the culture, the decadent culture we live in, we lose some of the depths of scripture when we read these parables and, and everything is, but we're supposed to be planting and cultivating the type of culture that is going to be sustainable while our culture declines. Uh, I get here early, so I, some of the songs I think we're singing this morning are providentially very based on that. Rebuild the ancient ruins. And so through scripture in Psalm 1 and Matthew 13 and, uh, and Luke 8 and Mark 4, it's the scriptures have to go deep into you, have to go deep into our community, 
and that's what's going to build the roots. That's what's going to cause us to be fruitful and multiply. And so we have to push that out into every corner. We have to push that out into every corner of our lives. We have to push that out into every corner of our culture. And that's what we're here to do. And so today is Pentecost Sunday. What better day to talk about being fruitful and multiplying uh, as the Holy Spirit, as we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming and and the inception of the church to go out and, and, and capture and, uh, and get all the Gentiles into every square corner of the earth and every area of culture. So let's pray, get coffee, and worship. Father above, we, we worship you, we thank you uh, for your word. We pray, the Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and make us alive, give us vibrant worship, give us vibrant reading times, give us... Uh, um, Everything we need, Lord, we know you do. Let us take that with grace and, and push it into every inch, every corner of our lives and our community for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, amen.